and over to you and the Lord. Thank you, gracious Lord, that you've laid a word on Tom's heart. You have enabled him to research and study. You've inspired him to share your inspired word. Now, Lord, let him have that freedom. Fill him with your spirit. And Lord, as we hear, let not our hearts be hardened tonight. Just bless this young man in the Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Thank you Derek. Uh, evening, everybody. It's really wonderful to come and share with you uh, tonight. So many times uh, as a teenager, funnily enough, I would sit somewhere in this church, uh, having visited Tom and Chloe and the Bartlett's for a weekend. Uh, and it's... Um, Really wonderful to be back, and I'm very, very grateful for the amount of time that lots of you put into me, into making people very welcome when I was here uh, as a student at Exeter University, when I come here for weekends. So it's great to come back and great to share with you this evening. Uh, when I was thinking about what to preach on tonight, this was a rarity because I wasn't given a passage uh, from, from the church. I believe you're starting a series soon, but this isn't a part of a series. This is a free sermon. Uh, I thought it would be good to speak on something uh, when it doesn't matter who you are, It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, uh, whoever you might be. Um, The likelihood is that at some point in your life you have prayed. Um, You've prayed to God. uh, You've prayed to just this idea in the air. And and I think it would be good for all of us tonight to have a little think about what prayer should look like uh, for a Christian. Uh, Now I need to apologize to to my friends Dave and Sarah from uh, State Gabriel. You probably recognize some of the stuff I'm saying. I preached in a very similar passage uh, earlier in this year at State Gabriel, but I figured if it was worth preaching once, it was worth preaching again. So we're going to study this together and have a little look as well. Uh, If you've got a Bible uh, in and around you, I think it will appear on the screen as well. Uh, We're going to be looking at Luke. Oh, wow, that's flash. My goodness. We'll have to get that at St. Thomas. That's nice. Yeah. Luke 11. Uh verse 5 to verse 13. Will that be to my low voice? That's fine. Okay. Uh, Yeah, we'll give everyone a chance to find it anyway. So Luke chapter 11, uh, verses 5 to verse 13. You can find that in the Bibles and it will hopefully appear on the screen as well. That's all right, Tom, don't worry. I gave Tom this verse, so you know I do bless him. It's because he's engaged. He's not thinking straight. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. That's great. Then Jesus said to them, this is the disciples he's talking about here, uh, suppose you have a friend and on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. Even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how your father in heaven, give to the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Let me to us afresh. Uh, Will you help us through the power of your spirit, through the word joy in Jesus? through this wonderful passage, this wonderful teaching on prayer in your name. I mentioned at the beginning of this service that I've been married. I've been married for uh, just over a year. If I tell her I said that, I say that quite a lot when I go to churches. But when we, when we got married, we went through this process of we were basically going out to these different places 
uh, going to different shops and, and buying furniture, big toolbox, um, a big heavy box that's going to you know, require a lot of lifting, a lot of kind of turns these days. Whenever I order these furnitures, they always come in these really oddly shaped flat flat. It's meant to look like a chest of drawers, but it came in a flat box. I'm thinking this is not going to end well. And I look, I know it gives me shudders just saying it now because I'm thinking of the bruises I had on my hands, the calluses on my hands, things like that. Was that depending on where you bought this furniture from, uh, the instructions would be either very, very good to build. And depending on where you bought it from, not going to name names, but Argos. So when you bought it from Argos, doing this, this chest of drawers, and I think, how on earth are they doing this? There'd be numbers, maybe steps on it somewhere, like John Lewis or something like that. Uh, we had some John Lewis vouchers. Tom, you'll, yeah, if you get a John Lewis gift list, you'll love this. Uh, and uh, yeah, depending on what instructions you got with that flat pack furniture there. And the reason I bring that up is because Jesus here is doing a very similar thing in this passage. Having just told his disciples what to pray uh, in the Lord's Prayer in verses 1 to 5, that wonderful prayer when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, Jesus then, without even stopping, not on what to pray, but on how they should pray it. He's saying you should, you should pray through your... Telling them how often they should pray, what they should expect in response, and indeed that they should be aware of who they're praying, or 10 years or 100 years, which would be impressive. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. This is very at all. And I want to suggest to you this evening that Jesus is teaching us to pray. Teach us to pray in four ways. The first one is that Jesus teaches us to pray out of necessity. Jesus teaches us to pray persistently, again and again and again and again, that kind of thing. The response. And the fourth one, the last one, is that Jesus teaches us to pray knowingly, knowing who we're praying. About, yeah, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, half an hour. So we'll go through it and we'll see what we can kind of pick up from tonight. So first, and what Jesus is trying to say through this parable. Let me read verses five and six to you now. They'll probably appear on the screen as well. Midnight, and you say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to situation. And it's hard to convey that to you because we're living in 2018 and all of that stuff with this man and with this friend in this parable. So you have a man that's got a friend in the, back in the day. And, and the disaster is that this man doesn't have any food for his traveling friend. You'd have some bread in your cupboard. Uh, you'd be able to go to the shop depending on what day it was and what time it was to pick up or, or spam at the back of your cupboard, something delicious for your friends to enjoy. The likelihood is you'd be able Because 2,000 years ago, uh, you would either have made bread yourself, you would have got it from the bread into existence when your friend was coming around. Londis's or Sainsbury's or any of those shops, because your friend would go hungry, they were hungry from traveling. But then also, and this is a big word, societally, you'd have to provide for people that were coming into your house. Back in the Middle East, uh, all of those years ago now, but it's not quite as drastic. But if someone was coming over, if I said, guys, um, I'd like to invite you over to my house later. To your house, is that right? Yeah, yeah. When you go to uh, Sarah and Dave's house, let's imagine you were going into their house, which I'm sure will happen. I'm sure it's going to be great. And I hope you enjoy it after church as well. You would be protected. It still happens today with Christians, but kind of less so. And for this man to show a big, big no-no. It was unheard of. You'd be able to provide for your friends in any situation. It'd be embarrassing for the community they were a part of because everyone would be like, gosh, did you hear about that guy down the road? Situation practically, because bread is hard to get. It's a bad situation societally because... So it's clear that this man doesn't just... Necessity, he has gone to his friend in the middle of the night and said, I need some bread for my friend. Now let's bring this forward to understand the same thing when we pray. We need to understand that we're not just praying to God whimsically, which for his friend, we need to pray to God. Because if we don't pray to God, then what on earth are we going to do? Without speaking to him, we've actually got no idea what we're doing with our lives. Without speaking to God, 
And that's an encouragement. That's an exciting thing that we need to pray out of necessity. Do I understand it like a man called C.H. Spurgeon, uh, a big Baptist minister? He said, the prayer room is the powerhouse of the church. If the cannot expect blessing, if we do not ask. For this guy Spurgeon, he said, prayer is so I'm going to run anything because that is how important prayer is. And that's how important we believe it is as a great need to pray. Because I believe that we need to make prayer the deepest need. We can't face the day without it. Let's jump on to the next bit. Persistence. Persistently. Verses 7 and 8. Because what I just described was the first two verses of the parable. We've already got that out of you. Because the friend who's got a friend visiting goes to another friend and says, I need some bread. The friend says, I can't get up and I can't give you anything. And here we need to jump back 2,000 years ago. Because the houses that were lived in back then are a bit different to the ones we live in now. Surprise, surprise. Because one room. So when the man says, I'm not getting up now because I'm going to wake up my kids, is actually... And to wake up in a house in the Middle East in the middle of the night would be, in effect, to wake up the whole house. With this guy at the door, uh, late at night, is not worth waking up his house for. He says, go ask. So what is it that makes this man open the door? Is the question we've got to ask ourselves. Door. And we read that in verse 8. It's only because of his shameless audacity. Other Greek translations put it like this as well. It's only because of his shameless persistence. I can get people and we can get on board with that. Only because of his shameless persistence was the door opened. So let's ask ourselves that question again. Let's draw that forward. How do we pray today? We need to be persistent in our prayers. We need to pray persistently. Tell me you need to pray lots and lots and lots. I'd feel quite uncomfortable about that. I was thinking, man, I don't really, why should I have to pray to God persistently? And that's something I struggled with for a, for a long time. And it might be something you struggle with. I'm going to quote this guy next. He's called Thomas Watson. And he was a Puritan minister uh, 400 years instantly. And he said four things. He said the first one is because God loves, he says, you might see someone playing music and you'll say, mm, I'm going to give that good stuff. And what he's trying to say here is that our prayers to God are like music to his ears. Second one, why do we have to pray persistently? That we might be humbled on demand. God's not someone we can snap our fingers or clap our hands at and say, hey, do this for me. That's my prayers as well. Third one, and this is a big one, because God sometimes, it may be that he has put things in place in us or in our church or in the world. There are this and God might be saying, no, I'm not going to do that because that means that will happen and that will be bad. God is the one. And this one's really sweet, actually. Thomas Watson says, finally, why do we pray persistently? The grace and the mercy we receive in our answered prayer might be even sweeter because of how to wait till the end of the day. And you take that bar and you eat it. Isn't it even better than it would have been if you just kind of, the more you're going to appreciate it. And I want to suggest that maybe it's the same with prayer. But impersonal, God is personal. And God wants to just hear our prayers for all of those reasons because they're a joy to verses nine and 10. Because at this point, Jesus stopped speaking in parables completely. And he quite, and he says this, it will appear on the screen. Well, look at that, that's good stuff. Thank you so much, that's really good. Uh, yeah. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. Knocks, the door will be opened. Very plain, very simple language. Now, a few months ago, did anyone watch it? You may not have watched it. It was a documentary about the ambulance service in the West Midlands. And a documentary in all the episodes we watched. Uh, you would get this situation where you would see a 999 and would tell them the emergency and then they would send someone out. And the, the way the documentary worked is that it would, it would show you the paramedics and see where they were going. 
And it was a really powerful program. And it was still on iPlay or whatever. I'd implore you to watch. But amongst all the uncertainty, amongst all the confusion of life and DPR, you know what the one certainty is in that situation? In the whole program, the one certainty. Imagine if someone phoned 999, or if you probably have at some point, I'm sure lots of us have, you're going to get a response. Or if you phone them, you're like, oh gosh, I don't know, they might be on their coffee break this time. If we, we thought when we were phoning uh, the 999 or the services like that, imagine certain people, especially the emergency services, you expect a response. Then we, we phone 999. Imagine if we pray to God. Imagine if we pray to God, not like, oh, dear God, thank you for the day. Um, maybe you could do this. Wouldn't our prayer lives look different? Because I know mine would. Mine would look radically different if I prayed that with God as Christians today. Do we actually believe God is going to answer our prayers? Disciples did. Do we pray in the way that, as that verse says on the screens, do we pray expectantly? And let me just address one question now and say, Tom, what about the time when I prayed for my sick relative or when I prayed to prayer, the thing I struggle with, the thing that doesn't really come up that much? And let me tell you, that's tricky. That's for my sick relatives and the prayer doesn't seem to be answered. The amount of times I've prayed for that stuff. But let me give you one thing that might just help you in response. And it comes from Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite books. It comes before Gandalf and he says, Gandalf, you're late. And Gandalf kind of, you know, whims it precisely when he means to. And I want to suggest to you tonight, in the words of Isaiah, prayer are in his hands. Because Isaiah 55 says this. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts your thoughts. So while anything might not be met seemingly, we can pray with the knowledge that God is in control and God knows what he wants to do with our prayers. And that's challenging. Because actually, it means we're praying to a God that knows better than us. And it puts us in our place in the same way that I mentioned earlier. It makes us realize that actually God is bigger and better and greater than us and brings us to a place where we can pray wholeheartedly, which I think is phenomenal because it shows that we are not God. And if that fails, let me give you Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And notice there, just in that bit, that God doesn't say God will work out all of the things for, for the good of those uh, who love him, um, and especially all the things they want as well. He, he works out all of their wants and all of their greeds and all of their things they want. God's going to give us a cushy life. God's going to give us a Mercedes. God's going to give us a detached property in the countryside. That, that, that verse does not say that. It'd be nice if it did, but it doesn't. It says he will work it out for the good of those who love him to those who have been called according to the good of his purpose, not our purpose. God is in control, not us. That takes us to our next point. Knowingly, verses 11 to 13. Because only by understanding who we're praying to, the God that we're praying to, only by understanding that Jesus is God and, and the Father and the Spirit, only by understanding those things are we going to be able to pray properly. Because that leads us to the last three verses of the passage. Let me read it to you again. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, now, don't get mixed up with the fishes and the eggs and the snakes and everything like that. Perfect analogy of who we're praying to. Let me put it this way. Let's say on the, the morph coffee and then they throw a brick at you or something like that. Or you say, can I have a cup of tea? Angry ones. 
that's ridiculous because you know that if you ask for coffee from someone, there's no way that anyone in their right mind in this world is going to give you something as the idea of that happening is ridiculous. And what Jesus is saying here in that, in that, uh, in that analogy, like giving them a coffee or giving them something nice or giving them an egg, imagine how much more my God, he's perfect. If you ask him for things, he's going to give you things beyond your wildest dreams. What he's saying here is you need to pray knowingly that actually you're not praying to the sinful people of this world. You're praying to the perfect response and what you should expect as well. And when I say this, it reminds me of, uh, of when one of my brothers, 2 a.m., uh, like most people, I was sleeping at 2 a.m. And he was knocking on my window for me. But I, I opened the curtains and looked through and I saw that it was my brother Richard. And because I knew the curtains, I went back to bed. No, I didn't. I, I, I opened the door, went to the front door, unlocked it. The window was. Because I knew who was there. It influenced my actions positively. The way that he tapped and then whispered my name quietly. I let Richard in because I knew things of a stranger when you pray to God. You are praying to someone who has been perfectly revealed through me. And that should make all the difference. Because you're not praying to a far off or distant God who you don't know. You're praying to a God that has the best intentions for you. And you know that I want to work out purposes for you that will be good, that will not be bad. And some of you might say, but isn't that just the New Testament God? Because God was never described as a father in the Old Testament. About God deeply loving his creation, deeply loving his people. Deuteronomy 10, earth and everything in it. So you can see the grandeur of God, like I just mentioned. Yet the Lord set his affection descendants above all nations as it is today. God is in the business for work of prayer in our lives. We're given an opportunity to, to come back to him as well. Let me just challenge you, your sister, your friend, your wife, your husband. Think of anyone you care about. Think of anyone you speak to a lot. with them. Imagine if you if like had a hard day at work and you'd come home or a hard day, wherever you might. The response to you was a 30-minute chat when you got home. And then they kind of forgot you and then went into something else. Prayer lives just prayed for 30 seconds at the beginning of the morning and 30 seconds before we went to bed. Imagine it for lots of us. And that's what it's like for me at times. Do we forget that actually we are praying to someone on the cross? That's what we did earlier. We remembered that. We remembered that Jesus died for us on a cross to bring us back. Or do we pray to him like a far off God that we kind of know and that we kind of want to pray to and that we'll give kind of... friend I was just talking to you about. Imagine if your brother, your sister, your friend, whoever you're thinking of right now, Imagine if they loved you so much that they would go to the ends of the earth to show you how much they loved you. That's what we see. We see a friend that is longing to know us better, loves us so much. And when I preach that, I'm preaching that to myself. It doesn't matter if you're a church worker or not, and we're forgetting that we worship a perfect God and that we're able to pray to him as well. And because we know who we're praying to, uh, we we know that, that God wants us to give us those good gifts. That's what it says in that last verse, verse 13. How much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what good gifts does our Father long to give us? He, he longs to give us something far more important than the gifts of this world. Like the house I mentioned, like the Mercedes I mentioned, like the, the nice cushy things. Because God longs to give you the Holy Spirit. He longs to give you a relationship with him. Because when you accept the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we have the Holy Spirit living within us and it guides us. And it tells us what to do. And it allows us to live a life perfect and holy. Let me just sum up. I'm going to finish. Let me sum up where I've just been this evening with you. This parable of, of the persistent friend is what it's called. It might say that in your Bibles. Uh, it shows us a lot more about God than meets the eye initially, I think. Because we learn how to pray. We learn to pray out of necessity, knowing that we have to pray because there is nothing else we can do by ourselves. 
We learn to pray persistently, persistently praying to a God that loves to hear our prayers. We learn to pray expectantly with the knowledge that there's no such thing as unanswered prayer in this world because God will always answer them in his way. And finally, and actually most importantly, and if there's one thing you remember from our time tonight, I want, to, I want to encourage you to remember this, that we are called to pray knowingly. We're called to pray knowing that the Father is drawing close to us through his Son. And when you pray knowing who you're praying to, I'm telling you now, it makes a lot of difference. And that's why we have to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel again and again and again. My prayer is that whoever you are tonight, whatever stage you're in, that you will go home from this place uh, with a renewed passion, a renewed excitement about the idea and the privilege of coming to God in prayer. And that's my prayer for myself as well, because all of us are included in that. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that in our confusion and in our laziness and in our sin at times, Lord, that you still want to draw close to us. That, Father, through the power of your Son on the cross, you have given us an opportunity to draw close to you as well. And, Father, we pray that you will radically shake our lethargy when it comes to prayer. You will help us to understand that when we pray to you, we are not praying to a far-off God, but, God, we're praying to a, a loving God that would send his Son to die for us. And that, Father, you have left your Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to guide us and lead us wherever we may be. So, Father, we pray that you will teach us more and more how to pray. But we thank you for this parable tonight. Will you stir our hearts to pray in the way that you asked us to? But, Lord, above all else, help us to pray with the knowledge that you are our loving Heavenly Father who draws close to us in every situation. And we can pray for these things in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.